I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. starting the episode is that not how we start the episode <laughs> i can still feel like the broken apart pill in my throat and don't well, worry listeners doing drugs. i haven't relapsed they're for my face nerves that are falling apart awesome awesome welcome so anyway, welcome to the Bearded Dicks and Musical Fun Time. I am the beard. And I am the the dick. Although, do I have the right to still call myself that even though I only have a mustache now? No. And you're too much of a coward to ever have a mustache? I got a bitchin' soul patch right now. No, you don't. Do you really? Well, I mean, it's connected to my beard, but yes. Oh. Never mind, man. How does it feel that the last episode we did for our mainline podcast that you were the only person without a mustache? I mean, I have hair where my mustache area is. It's just not. That's not the same. That's not the same. Okay, you're right. Uh, It feels like I'm less than, and also that my penis doesn't work. Good. That's where I like you. So anyway, we're 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 uh, back on the series that just won't quit, but obviously it will. We're we're past the halfway mark now, guys. So, you know, uh, uh, four four twenty swag three sixty no scope. This sixty nine sixty nine nice. Yes, 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 yes. So we are on two thousand sixteen. First, I want to go back and talk about <laughs> Carly Rae Epson's Emotion album that I spoke about last week. So one of the things that is unusual in reference to her for me as a listener is that typically I buy all the music that I listen to. The only time I don't really do that is with pop music and synth pop. And that's partially because of the ephemeral nature of my enjoyment of it. And also with somebody like Carly Rae, I feel a little less like she's not going to eat tomorrow if I don't buy her record. And, but I listen to it on Spotify and I have Spotify premium. I don't know, whatever. I feel like I'm still playing into the capitalist system. But in regard to that, because I listen to her mostly through Spotify, her albums as they are on Spotify are the super deluxe, all the songs included versions. And when I spoke about the album Emotion, I complained that it had too many songs on it. And I didn't realize that the regular release version of the album has five fewer songs which makes much more sense and the last five songs are all pretty good but especially i think it's warm-blooded or cold-blooded or whatever the heck it's called but the actual album is much briefer which is better and i thought oh that's an unfair criticism but considering that probably many people consume her albums in the same way 
they may have the same experience that I do. And also interesting to note that as far as I could tell, Emotion's never been released on vinyl, probably because it runs just too long to be on a single piece of vinyl, but or record, or whatever you want to call it. But I just thought that was of note, and I also overstated the length of the Emotion B-sides. It's a EP more than it is an album, again inflated by the digital release version of it. So... You know, I hope I didn't come across as a total idiot, but I'm doing my best with the... You did, but it's fine. Yeah. And it was also interesting because I thought of when I reviewed Devoted, her most recent album, at the end of my last year, like my best of last year records, and had also complained it was too long, and it also is inflated with extra songs on the digital copy. So, worth noting, and, you know, I didn't want to seem like I wasn't... I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm, you didn't, but it's fine. Okay. So, the we're going to do this year, I'm going to go back to the old alphabetical format, and we're going to start right off with Blood Incantation, their debut album, Star Spawn, which was released on Dark Descent Records on LP, CD, cassette, and whatever. And Dick Fetty, what year is this? 2016. Thank you. It's interesting because I heard Blood Incantation when they came out. I somewhat loosely follow Dark Descent. And typically, bands that are sort of up-and-coming death metal bands, there's such a hype machine involved in all this kind of music, but especially in metal, and especially like in death metal in the last decade, that it's really tough to discern what's good versus what's hyped. And then there's also always a huge backlash against anything that's popular because everybody assumes it's terrible. And, you know, it's one of those where my own personal reticence to check out anything that's new or popular comes up. But then I also don't like to agree with anybody, but I don't want to agree with the people that don't like it either so I'm left in these positions of like really having a tough time just enjoying records on their own merit. But Blood Incantation, I was lucky in the sense of I didn't pay attention to any of that. I just saw it and saw that the band logo was really cool and was like that classic, wildly unreadable, just a series of squiggly, sharp lines and thought that looks pretty sick. And then I had heard many mentions to it as it related to Morbid Angel, which had me less excited at the time, but also as it related to a very cult sort of band that became internet famous called Time Ghoul that only got famous 20 years after their uh, dissolution because of the internet and um, internet labels that made like make a living reselling old demo tapes and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, that band's very cool. So let me check this out, and originally I just was listening to them on Spotify a ton, and then I went to buy one of their records, and they were like, they're they're almost the hot death metal band, and still are, and I was looking on Discogs, I have one of their EPs, and I could sell it for like over $200 right now, I'm like, they're gonna repress it, that's insane, that's in, like that's a record from five years ago, that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, so... My, the, what I will say is that Blood Incantation, in my opinion, totally rule. The sound which they have as far as the way that their albums are recorded 
on nice warm analog reel to reels and the whole nine yards. They have good everything from like just the sound of it, the sound of the individual instruments, the songwriting, the whole thing all comes together excellently. I, I, for whatever reason, have not bought their new album that came out last year. I still have not heard it other than the songs that I saw them play in concert. But they have at times a, a similarity to Time Ghoul Shore with their sort of spacey craziness. But they also remind me of Nile and they can remind me of uh, Morbid Angel. And they have a sort of progressive tendency, but it's always with a death metal heaviness. And they never get overly technical or overly weird. And then they just manage to balance all those elements just right. Not in a way that feels like it was designed in a lab to sell the maximum amount of t-shirts. But instead, just they're a really good band with a really whole vision that they came together with seemingly rather quickly and almost out of nowhere. And... Like, everybody... I feel like most people that hate on them are just jelly because they fucking kicked ass from pretty much the get. And why would I be upset that a band is really good? Like, I don't... I don't understand. So, I really like them. The two times that I've seen them, they were really excellent. And the first time I saw them, they were opening with... Or playing concurrently... Well, playing the same show, co-headlining. That's what I'm going for. With Dimilich. And so it was just like the fucking sickest lineup and it was at a smaller venue so it was really awesome and they're just i just think they're they're really great i think their ep is just as good as their first album and from everything i've heard their second album is just as good as their first which is a hell of an achievement in any kind of music and the only criticism i really have of them is that they use artwork from famous old like sort of fantasy artist who did the big painted or airbrush type art stuff. And I think some of that is credited, but I don't know that all of it is. And I don't know if those people are getting paid for it, but I certainly hate to think that they're ripping off like these classic fantasy artists because the artwork is a huge part of their visual identity. And they also have a lot of original artwork too, but like the main artwork for their releases is all other people's stuff. And I just hope that they're certainly paying their dues because you can go back 20 years ago and look at demos of death metal stuff and see that same artwork. So it's kind of, you know, that's, it's really fitting, but I, I just hope that the people that made it are getting credit because, you know, for a very long time, fantasy artists and the like were always treated like shit because they did stuff that was fantasy. And it's only been a little bit in the last 20 years that people have started to get some kind of credit for the creativeness and skill and whatever yeah but i want to play the last song from their album which is the uh star spawn the title of the album it's it's not that long so the album starts with a 13 minute track that just kills it and basically shows everything you need to know about blood incantation and then they just like run shit from there it's only five songs long it's 35 minutes in total you couldn't, at least for me, like I couldn't ask for a better execution on every level. It's just wonderful. The vinyl sounds great. The presentation's really nice. This is this was an easy record of the year, and it's an easy one to put in the decade. And again, like people can hate on this shit, but this is going to be, I think, a really big influential 
death metal album because it sounds much older than it is and it sounds really good and they're just like they're good in every way and 10 years from now people are gonna be like yeah blood incantation fucking rule and it'll be i think a lot less disputed than it is now so let me play the uh first couple minutes of star spawn for you I gotta stop it, otherwise I'll just listen to Plenty Incantation for the rest of the night. So, I'm one of these times it's just gonna end up being a whole album, and it, we're gonna get copyrighted. Nah, 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 nah. But uh, yeah, I just I really I fuck with it, and I'm pretty sure the dudes. Uh, I think they're based in Colorado now, but I think they're uh, well. I, as far as stereotypes of Colorado go, I feel like, at least in my mind, they fit in quite well because their whole thing is sort of alien conspiracy theories and like a post-acid weed haze that filters through their sort of spacey aesthetic, but not in any kind of corny ass. There's no weed leaves to be found or lyrics about weed, but there's definitely a, I've partaken in the delights of marijuana the devil's lettuce yeah and and lsd so all right well i uh i lied immediately of course as i like to do on this podcast because i'm not going to go in alphabetical order because it, it wouldn't make sense to in regard to this so i'm going to talk about another death metal album and then i want to jump into some drum and bass territory so the next one okay <laughs> Do you have anything to add uh, about like incantation before I go on? Uh, it's good, and if you think otherwise, you're an idiot. Classic. That's a that's a 
uh, Bearded Dick's Promise. If you think differently than us, you're probably a fucking moron. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when I was coming to your condo with these albums? Like, that was all I would just bring over. Like, do you want to listen to Blood and Condition? Oh, you don't? I'm just going to leave then. How many times did I say no? Never. I mean, you would never say that because you're not a coward. So Exactly. Right. So, okay, the next one is a, like I said, another death metal album. This is sort of, it's funny. In some ways, it's very similar, and in other ways, it's quite different because it's, so this band is on Relapse, which is much more of like a major metal label rather than Dark Descent, which is a relatively indie metal label, and this band has a much more immediate and brutal sound that sounds way it's not like hi-fi in a bad synthesizer. I don't know. Like it's not, it's not overly techy, but they're also, they're, they're loud and modern sounding and they also have progressive tendencies, but everything about this is just not fun compared to blood incantation, which definitely still has like a underlying rock and roll solos are rad. Do you guys want to like maybe party in my van after this? This band is definitely, more of a, I have a crippling drug addiction and um, maybe I post too often on Reddit, but also like I'm a tough dude who wears all black and has a bald head and like does steroids. Like it's sort of in between those two. So I'm talking about Ulcerate and I have Ulcerate guys like uh, your band is amazing and I'm dying to hear the new album. I'm not in any way dissing you. This is just what comes to my mind, but Ulcerates, Shrines of Paralysis, their, what was it, one, two, three, four, fifth album, I think. I don't actually own their first, first album when they had, I believe, a different singer. But it's After Everything is Fire, it was that. Uh, and then uh, Destroyer of All, Vermis, and then this one. So it's sort of the fourth in their kind of most formidable, current, and stable lineup. And... A big part of why it makes my list is that I saw them tour for this album. I bought it, like I heard it for the first time driving home from the show or at the show. They played at Boot and Saddle in Philly, which is a relatively small venue with a pretty decent sound system. And I had, I forget, I don't think I had pneumonia. I think I had bronchitis and a severe sinus infection and an ear infection in both of my ears. And I was not well. Uh, I shouldn't have been going anywhere, let alone a death metal show, but I was single and ready to mingle and also was just going to feel terrible if I did miss it because I figured it was one of my very few chances probably in life to see them because they're from New Zealand and don't get to tour the U.S. very often. And it was fucking amazing. So if you've ever heard Ulcerate, you know that their drumming is basically they outdrum Cryptopsy's Flow Mourner. Mornier, or however you say it, or any of those other like hyper technical bands where they can, their drummer is super technical. He has like an incredibly huge kit with a million little drummy drum drums on it. But they also, I feel like the technicality doesn't override the rest of the music, nor does the drums become the only focus of it. There's a Cryptopsy album called Once Was Not where it's just like the drums are the only thing you can hear in the mix the whole time. And you're like, yeah, they're sick, but I'd love to hear the guitar part. And <laughs> you're just not allowed. And Ulcerate strike a much finer balance. They definitely have a modern sheen to their music, but their sort of dissonance 
in the style of Death Spell Omega and sludginess in just slight reminiscence of a band more like Neurosis are what separate them and also elevate them. And then they're also like impeccable visual design and really good, like sort of ultra nihilistic. Well, not even nihilistic, but just sort of nihilist, atheist, whatever. Like, I don't know. They're more, they're kind of more pseudo intellectual type lyrics. And I'm, none of this is meant in any way as a criticism, but they're, they're definitely intentionally headier than your typical gore oriented metal which isn't none of neither of those things are bad but um it's just a different kind of a thing and this album is fucking sick it like they in my opinion haven't released a bad album so it's wasn't surprising that it was sick but it was to me surprising how good the mix was it was kind of the most brutal mixing they had done so far and it really was one where none of the songs seemed to lag in quality behind any of the others. It was just fucking solid the entire way through. And I really struggle to pick a best song on here. I like the title track quite a bit, but there's also, oh yeah, the last one is End the Hope and Extinguished Light. I mean, they're, they're just like all good, but all their songs are long. They're typically seven and a half minutes to like nine and a half minutes long. So I guess I will, they're one of those two where they earned the fucking big, the sweeping, like semi-emotional parts, if I can say that, the sort of like post-rocky phrasing that comes in towards the end of a lot of their songs. And, you know, in a two minute sample, I can't give you the buildup and then the breakdown of an eight minute track, obviously. So I'm just going to have to show you part of it and you guys should check out the rest. So this is Into the Hope, the, the final song from Ulcerate's Shrine, Shrines of Paralysis.
you have it. So when I saw them play parts of that album live and then other classic songs like Everything is Fire and Cold Becoming, they, despite my incredible illness, ear infections and complete like nasal and sinus cavity destruction, they were able to penetrate it. <laughs> and I was so sick that I... You know, it's one of those where my ears could still hear what they were hearing, even though they were blocked up, but I couldn't hear what they were hearing. So I just like took my earplugs out. And then finally, when I could hear again, I couldn't anymore because I took my earplugs out during Ultra Gets Live set. And, uh, <laughs> but it was so, it was so good. It was like there was no other band that could have penetrated that night so thoroughly into my very sick, you know, upper body. And, I just, they they were just fucking awesome. And I talked to a couple of the guys from the band after and they were really nice. And I talked to their, I guess it was a tour manager slash merch person. And they were just all like super stoked. They had an Icelandic band with them. And then I think the other band was from Montreal, Phobocosm. And I forget the Icelandic band's name, but it was a, it was a cool lineup of, you know, modern sort of death metal. And it made, it was just like, it's a really good memory, so it's part of why this album has to make this list. And I do think that Everything is Fire is, in some ways, my still preferred album because it was the first one I heard by them and sort of their first, like, you know, sort of kind of first album. But this is, I feel like, does sort of show off all the things they've been refining since that album came out. And I... It's interesting because just listening to that sample reminds me of how, to me, the dissonance that they use in their music, much in the same way that Despel Omega or later Aosoth uses it, is in and of itself so musical and adds like a level of musicality to the phrasing that even though you're getting like absolutely pummeled by drums for eight minutes at a time, it doesn't like, I, I mean, it's probably just years of listening to this type of like super technical, ultra heavy music, but I, I feel like it's so easy listening comparable to a lot of other death metal. Like, compared to Bolt Thrower, which have more standard song structures and solos, like, this is easier to listen to because it it has a non-linear progressive flow and a use of dissonance that constantly sort of, like, highlights and, and, and foils the more, like, brutal pummeling parts. And I don't know. It's just like, I'm like, this is fucking chill. So what you're saying is you've been penetrated by a group of men. Yeah, but that wasn't the first time, nor will it be the last. But yeah, I just, I think that they, uh, they really, they do something that like when I'm feeling ulcerate, I'm just listening to ulcerate. So. Very good. Do you have any, any additional thoughts on that? I do not. Okay. So uh, I want to jump into drum and bass territory now, and I'm going to try not to go too down the rabbit hole. I feel like I've talked a lot about the sort of what I see as drum and bass renaissance in the last, well, really since about 2015-16, and really hitting off in 17 with some of the insane albums that came out. But part of it... Part of the reason I talk about like 15 and onwards and really 16 and onwards is that's when I started listening to modern drum and bass. Uh, so that's my frame of reference. But drum and bass was a huge genre for me when I was a kid. And I've, you know, I'm not going to try to belabor this because I've talked about it over and over on the show. I fucking love drum and bass. It was like the 
first sort of obscure genre of music that really like sucked me in and basically like really got me collecting records and going out of my way to find places to buy stuff that no one else was selling and putting in the legwork to like find physical record stores and physical copies and and all this and do research and find out who these artists were and all this kind of stuff are are you like crinkling something there's like sorry a... it's probably my chair oh okay so that's um that's fine um so technical itch is the guy that got me like fully hooked and i've talked about this too he did this kilobytes 2 double mix cd he was featured prominently on the 01.1 mix that was msx fm and grand theft auto 3 which is a radio station and he does a style of drum and bass called dark core and he came out of the jungle era before drum and bass was drum and bass and then he was there from the beginning and with moving shadow and then he had his own record label called tech records and then penetration records which was like the first records i ever bought which had hentai on the cover and <laughs> they were like really aggressive dark core drum and bass records i still fucking worship them if i could make any kind of music you know it's it's definitely like high up there i wish i wasn't some lousy power electronics guy I could just be making drum and bass but anyway well it's not anyways that's the point so i fucking worship tech itch but in the years between 2012 or really like 2010 and 2016 he slowed down when i was in college immensely and wasn't doing that much and then there was a period where it looked like he was largely like kind of stopping and just doing digital singles and the stuff he was releasing just wasn't it for a long time hadn't really measured up in my opinion to the the sort of like really excitingly programmed old drum and bass stuff he was doing and i know nobody wants to rehash the same thing forever but his work was less complicated and less interesting and less dynamic and a big draw that he has is he does these crazy cut-ups of amens which again i've talked about but like the amen is like the the most used drum and bass break it comes from this old record and whatever whatever and he was the master of cutting it up 47 different times in one song and slowing it down and running it through filters and doing these whole like constantly modulating like drum patterns that were sick and almost nobody else did that kind of shit and that was why i loved him and then on top of it he had samples from dune and he had samples from uh like the constantine show in well that's going to come up in this ep i'm going to review and whatever like all sorts of good sci-fi stuff i can't even think of anything else for whatever reason but he was just he was my fucking guy like he hugely impacted me in ways musically that i'll i'm still unraveling and finally after all these years of sort of barely paying attention and not being that interested and and sort of listening through his stuff as he'd release it but not being that impressed he came out with this ep called souls of impatient in 2016 and this thing finally fucking brought back what i was missing so much which was this intricate drum programming and these samples this the samples the hellblazer constantine show from the uk and just like a like the the, the atmospheres the care to the songs the whole nine yards and he first put it out digitally and then i bought a physical copy which took four fucking ever to receive and then showed up beat to hell so i was a little unhappy about that but regardless still fucking killed it and 
not everything he's done since and not everything he did before is amazing, but up until probably 2004, I mean, almost all of his records were solid gold, and a lot of the stuff since 2016 has been really good, and he just put out a new album that I haven't checked out yet, but I'm really excited to hear. Before this EP was released, he did a, a studio mix that was like an hour long of all unreleased or mostly unreleased material called Souls of Impatience. So if you look for that, you might find that first. But then in 2016, he put out this EP. The digital version is four songs. The 12-inch version is three. The last song you lose is pretty okay. It, well, it's, it's good, but it's it's not as good as the others anyway, so it's all right. Um, right. But the highlight of this whole thing is the third track, which is called Different Eyes. And it's just this throwback monster, Amin Smasher. And it has this, like, bass part. And some of the drum parts are, I think, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but they have this level of, like, extreme digital distortion. Like, it's way too bassy, so it comes out ultra compressed. And in some ways, it feels like I'm listening to a Vine video, but in another way, it's fucking sick so i'm gonna play a little of that because this is the song that basically restored my faith in drum and bass and then wound up throwing me into all this new drum and bass which i'm going to talk about in a second So, I mean, you could hear it, that just increasing slicing of the drum beats, one between the next, between the next and the other. Yes. That's, that's the shit for me. So that, I mean, that's like his, his trademark tracks in between, I would say 98 to 2002 was when that really was happening a lot. LED from the Diagnostics album is like one of the all time anthems of that, where it just... It, especially after the second drop, you get all these filtered parts of it, and it just is 
it was the kind of shit that if you were into that, like that was, that was, there's a, another one called Trisonite or no scope and Mortex is another one. And there's, there's just a bunch of those types, those style of drum beat cutups littered throughout his discography. And then with the later penetration stuff, it became a bunch of other like acid undercurrents and fucked up samples and whatever. But this album sort of brings back what I loved or the CP rather about Tekich and because the big the thing I I don't think I really explained was that so much of his work in between 2011 and 2016 had really uninteresting drum patterns and even though it might have those killer Tekich synth lines and bass lines if the drums aren't interesting then I could listen to any other drum and bass producer most of whom produce shitty drum patterns and it's why I don't really get into a lot of like classic tech step stuff from Bad Company or even at Rush because unless you can make the drums really interesting in some way, I can't I can't deal with seven minutes of the same fucking loop. So I was just I was blown away when I when I heard this. I'm so fucking hyped. It was it was like the spring or you know late spring I think of 2016, and then I I went on a road trip for two weeks later that year that went all over the United States and. I just loaded my phone with nothing but drum and bass and the girl who went on the road trip with me was wildly unprepared for the level of uh, drum and bass we were going to listen to as we cruised the highways of this United States. So, Well, yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of times that you and I have been driving wherever and just blasting it. Yeah, absolutely. And so this this listening to this brought me back into thinking about or, or interested in what was what else was happening in drum and bass. And so I turned to a few places I knew to turn to. The Hard Wax Store was one of them, although they're not really big pushers of drum and bass. And looking, trying to look at some other new labels that I had heard about over the years, but never really checked out. And I was sent towards like Samurai and Horo, or not Horo, um, Kylon, as it like became a sort of new label. And there was exit and some other ones where they did this sort of like modern DNB, minimal DNB, DNB meets uh techno and I wasn't really interested in like the DNB guys who went to the dubstep route cuz most of those guys did a really shitty job of dubstep but was very interested in like new producers who were putting out stuff influenced by all these genres that they were either helping to create or you know, were influenced by classic stuff, but making a new spin on it. And that was how I wound up dick deep in UVB 76 and um, Samurai Music. And what the hell is the other one? Shit, I can't think of the other. But those, a lot of, the sort of all those bands in that nexus. And so I wound up listening to like Loxie and Resound's album and blah, 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 blah. And that took me, like I said, so that took me to Samurai. And one of the big artists on the label at the time, who's still one of the biggest artists, was Homemade Weapons. And he does this, like, ultra-reduced version of drum and bass that, at times, as far as for home listening, can be a little too repetitive and really works good for his EPs. But he's... But, like, I can imagine... Well, I saw him perform live, but I'll get to that in a second. And I can imagine how, if you're at a club event, how this shit would just, like, slot right into so much other stuff. And 
basically he takes like the minimal the the reduction of like the best kinds of techno in the world and pairs it with uh an understanding of the inherent pleasure of an amen drum clip cut up and just right in a drum and bass song and then puts them together with like almost no dynamic synth lines or anything like that and it's just a sort of focus on rhythm repetition and locked cycles so he's like sleep archive if he did drum and bass but with a little bit of fuck i don't even know what else to compare it to but he's got a thing that he just does exceptionally well and so his sleep terror ep there was a lot of good ones that came out in 2016 but sleep terror was the one with red army that just really kicked my fucking ass and sadly i don't own this physical record because at the time it was out of print and then it went back in print and then it sold out again so i do have to grab this as a physical copy but it's hard to express what's so good about it unless you're really into drum and bass or maybe really into techno but if you're into those kinds of things and studies on rhythm then hopefully this will resonate but this is definitely probably one of the more austere choices on this whole list because i feel like it doesn't have any immediate hook it's the kind of thing that has to sort of sink its teeth into you over time or you have to be specifically right. inclined to this kind of a sound okay so this is cavity which is the second song from the ep and I think I think this kind of perfectly nails what it is. weapons it's not flashy it's just deadly effective do you yeah have... i agree with that i i just you know it's it's one that's i'm not as good as uh 
uh, finding interesting ways to describe things to uh, as you are, but um, I just it's very cavernous and uh, I don't know. It hits all it hits hard in all the right spots. Like you said, it's not exactly doing anything new, but it does what it sets out to do, and that's a that's something that's good in my book. Yeah, I think I mean to me it's it's new in the sense of it it marries the reductiveness of you know melodyless techno weapons with drum and bass which kind of is like how old tech step was and some of those really good songs that are just like straight tools but their their groove is so good that they still are compelling to listen to for seven minutes but his i feel like his ear for the drum production it's he does enough of like crafting his own stuff and then mixing in almonds and other things that you get this really nice uh balance between old and new and so I saw him sort of, well, I never actually really kind of saw him because I wound up working the visuals for his show in Philly. God, it must've been two, three years ago now, probably three years ago. And it was, it was a, sl- a sadly very sparsely part- um, attended show, but I wound up in a position where Andrew sort of allowed me to work some pirate bootleg software they had to do some crazy visual shit on on top of a giant piece of you know white fabric or whatever that was hanging over the uh this sort of stage setup and i just sat behind the the curtain working the visuals and listening to it and i never got to get up and dance which was a bummer but on the other hand i just sort of got to just be in my own mind like fucking with this computer program and it was very cool and again like when you're listening to club music, it's always good to remember that while it's awesome when club music is wonderful to listen to it at home, it's also designed for a club. And if you hear this on sound systems that make your bones shake and your lungs collapse, then it's truly you're able to understand how good it is. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. So, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Oh, just to let you know, um, I was looking at my Spotify recommended stuff today, and I don't know if it heard us talking, but Carly Rae Jepsen uh, showed up. Oh, nice! All my like recommended stuff. Very good. Well, she's she's mm-hmm. she gets a recommendation in my book. So, okay, so uh, we've just got three more left. We can see if we can't make this episode a little bit shorter than the others, but probably not because I can't shut the fuck up. All right, wake me up when you're done. Sure, sure. Okay, the next one is a complete sort of swerve, which is Lust for Youth's Compassion on Sacred Bones, which is their, what is that, one, two, three, fourth album on Sacred Bones, but sort of kind of third. And it's their second album after becoming more of a like full-fledged, super-polished Depeche Mode or more, no, I should say, New Order-style synth-pop band. And it's been such a wild ride to watch them, because I was buying their very first tapes when he was still in Sweden, and it was ultra-lo-fi, and there was this chick in the project, and they made this music that was more of like a faint memory of what music used to be, rather than crystal clear pop anthems for the COVID age or, well, I mean, this album came out, you know, four (laughs) years before, but 
very much music of the modern time, even if it looks back to the 80s for a lot of inspiration. And it's just, it's been so interesting because when they released the International before this, it was like, whoa, where has this band been? And that, that was with Loki Rawbeck and it, they had all these pictures that were, I mean, the, the fashion shoot imagery was as important as the music in part because it absolutely lined up with what you were listening to and also because they were so fucking good at it. And Hans Valentino is just his his sort of always disaffected voice, but and weird, uh, not weird, but unusual way that he parses out the vocals on top of the music itself just creates this thing that every time you listen to one of their albums for the first time, you're like, this sounds fucking wrong somehow. And then you listen to it a second time, you're like, nah, this sounds real good. And then you listen to it a third time, and you're like, this is one of my albums of the year. I don't know. I Like, whoa, whoa. Oh, man. So that was my experience with this one. The, the first time I heard this album, I was just, like, it was the first afternoon of a cruise going to Bermuda. And... I thought, yeah, this is this is where I'm supposed to be listening to this cruise music. This is a cruise album. And I just sort of wandered the ship. I, I mean, I more than most, I enjoyed this album right off the bat because the fucking first song is just like brings you in immediately and you're like, okay, we're doing this. And I had my Lust for Youth, youth hoodie with me because I knew those cruise nights would be cold. So I'm walking around in my, my pristine white, not even a hoodie, it's like a crew neck sweatshirt, And I've got uh, linen pants or shorts, I think, like boat shorts, and then my flip-flops and my sunglasses. And it was as much in character as I could be, although I can't drink, so there wasn't any martini in my hand or something similar. But it, it is cruise ship music. It's like yacht rock for the modern age, but with the sort of naivete romance of New Order mixed in with it and a little bit of Danish coldness, but also warmness on top of it. I don't know. It's, I love Lust for Youth so fucking much. And I was supposed to <laughs> goddamn see them, what was it, earlier this year or the end of last year? And they fucking had their show canceled in Philly because the venue had to cancel it and they couldn't find an alternate venue. And that was a bunch of bullshit. But... This album, I saw them tour on in 2017 in New York. Tour is strong. They played a few shows in the States, and it was fucking amazing. And they have this uh, woman whose name is, I cannot pronounce, and if you look up their info, you'll find it. It's it's long and hard. But she does these these vocals on a couple tracks, and they're, they're, it's that's the song I'm going to play. It's called Display, and... It's just so good. It's like this duet kind of thing. And the album's called Compassion. And, and the lead singer was talking in an interview like, yeah, what, what more sort of douchebag kind of a name could we pick than Compassion? Like, oh, we're so compassionate. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, they were like in love with it. And yes. So this is this is the sixth song from the album, Display, which is really something else.
and it gets uh, i mean that song gets better from there because the female vocals kick in more and the, the whole nine yards but they they it's nice because there's these these clearly like synth heavy tracks and then you've got some with additional instrumentation and this beautiful sound all around and it's just very much linen linen shorts sunglasses cemetery but also yacht party and i love it because to me it's the way i it sounds like coke music but it clearly isn't you know it's way more drinking a glass of wine like it's not music for alcoholics it's it's way more chilled out than that and i really appreciate that i mean it's not for active alcoholics i should say quite so much maybe i'm tripping I'm sure I could have enjoyed it back then. <laughs> yeah, you definitely could have enjoyed it back then. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just the kind of album that I, I feel like is so, so well done all the way through that I, there's just no fault for me to find in it. And I really, uh, it goes a lot of different places, but it also feels very cohesive. And their newest album from last year, I wasn't super hot on it the first couple listens. And then third or fourth, it clicked. And I wound up listening to it driving down in the rain to D.C., I guess it was earlier this year, and I thought, oh, 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 this is maybe better than Compassion, but I don't know. Compassion's the one that, that really, these days when I go to Reach for Lust for Youth, that's where it's at for me. And I, I do want to shout out, there's a song right before that called Brother, Better Looking Brother, and it is a fucking banger, like straight up club track. And it's got this whole like awesome bridge halfway through and it's just ultra driving. It reminds me of, it basically sounds like what I always thought New Order should have sounded like. And it also in some ways is eerily reminiscent of Out of Control by the Chemical Brothers, which has Bernard Sumner from New Order on vocals, who is slightly similar uh, to the vocalist from Lust for Youth. And those songs are, I feel like, a decade apart, but, well, probably more than that, um, but two sides to the same 7-inch, as it were. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. more 12-inch, because mm-hmm. they're both like seven minutes long, so better to press them on a 12-inch. But, yeah, this this fucking album, is, is it, it's also one where I easily can put this on with people in my car and most people will not bitch about this. It's got something for everybody and it's not too brutal and it's not too gloomy and it's not anything. It's just nice music to listen to. So yeah, it's rich goth kid music. Yeah, kind of, but it's more sophisticated than that. Not a lot of Tumblr posts about lust for youth, but maybe I'm tripping cause I ain't on Tumblr. So you are tripping word. So Okay, these last two are kind of... They're not really left field. Maybe this next one is, but also we've talked a lot about pop music tonight and in the past nights. So the next one is Rihanna's Anti-Album, which sort of... <laughs> I basically what got... What twist. Yeah, I got into this album because I saw a Vine that had Fifth Harmony's Work From Home in it, and I was trying to find that song, and then I found Rihanna's Work, which, like, I'm so far removed from most what's happening in pop music that even the biggest songs I just somehow miss. So I started listening to that, and my sister was like, are you listening to Work by Rihanna? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, it's a great song, but I'm extremely surprised. And 
I was like, oh, is this a big one? And she's like, are you kidding? It's Rihanna, first of all. And second of all, yes, like you're an idiot. I mean, it's even got Drake on it. And I can't stand Drake, but it's a good one. But that's that's one of the least good songs on the album. It's uh, oh, Hold on, hold on. Sure. You can't stand Drake? This coming from the dude who made me listen to Hotline Bling so many times when that fucking song came out. Okay, that's a fair point. But that's yeah, like, it is a, it, it's a realistic point. Okay, that's a point that you've made, and I understand what you're saying. But yes, no, typically I can't stand Drake. There are certain capacities where I like him. There's this song, well, there's Work, 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 there's that song, and there's one other song on one of his mixtapes that I think is pretty good. But yes, otherwise, no. And whatever, dude. Hotline Bling is fucking, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good song. I mean, it's not, but I like it. <laughs> I hate you. I know, I know. I hate myself, so. So this album, much like Carly, well, way more like Carly Rae, how can I put it? This album suffers, in my opinion, from an insane amount of front-loading, and it's really not even front-loading, it's more of just every song after a certain song does not interest me at all. So after her cover of Tame Impala's Same Old Mistakes or whatever the Tame Impala song is called, I think it's called the same thing, it just, I don't like the rest of it. And <coughs> Sorry. No, Gesundheit, no problem. But everything before that is great. And so I just stopped listening to it after that song, which is kind of a perfect climax to the album. And the first couple songs are... Though the first two are fine. And then there is Kiss It Better, which is... So I, let me back up and say, I listened to work and then thought, I'm going to listen to this whole album because, I don't know, I was at work and thought, what the hell? And the artwork was slightly intriguing. And I put it on and I'm like, this is pretty good. And then I get to the third song called Kiss It Better. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. I know that she's in, you know, platinum A-list pop star she should have good producers she should have good songwriters you know she's already got a good voice so i get it this isn't like it's she's coming out of nowhere you know with some bangers but at the same time most pop doesn't grab me this grabbed me it was the perfect combination of like sexy and tender and whatever and the message is like not really a healthy relationship one but that's not what I want out of my pop music that gives me a boner. So, and you know, she does the whole, goes back and forth between being sexy and being independent and then being vulnerable. And not to say those things are mutually exclusive, but she plays different faces in these songs and that's cool. And she does it skillfully and I buy into it. And that song is fucking awesome. And then sort of very similarly needed me, which is another you know, I feel like a lot of people have probably heard that song that have more interaction with mainstream media. And that's another one that's just the beat is fucking sick and the 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 lyrics are good and it's just like it's sexy and it's dark and you're like, Ooh yeah, like I wanna have sex in the back of a bus to this or like or, or in a Ferrari or I don't know, like you know, whatever works for you and and then to my complete astonishment i i don't even listen to tame impala when i have tried to i'm like this is not for me but this cover of this tame impala song that's very similar to the original like surprisingly faithful is fucking sick like when it's just 
her singing the same thing that the dude otherwise sings, it, when it, she's the one doing it, it just completely changes it for me. So I'm going to play a little bit of Kiss It Better to kind of try to explain why I fell for this album so hard. But, you know, I, I just ignore the last tracks and maybe they're, they're, other people will like them a lot, but pretty much track one to nine, like I, I don't even need to reach for fast forward. I'm just, I'm good. So, but this is Kiss It Better from Rihanna's Auntie and, you know, I don't know, pop music revolution or pop music realizations come years after for me, but for other people, they get to enjoy it as it comes and la-di-da for you. from a guy who doesn't really like Carly Rae all that much. I guess you no, really are a piece I, of I, shit. I like, I like Carly Rae. I'm not a huge Rihanna fan. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll end this portion by saying one of my fondest memories post-discovery of Rihanna, I mean, discovery strong, but post, like, you know, actively listening to Rihanna, I was camping with Ian, Teddy, and Brian, and I put this on one morning around the campfire and Teddy, Ian and I were all singing. We all knew all the words to like every song on the album. And I thought, huh, huh. That's a, it's just, you know, we all have very disparate music tastes. So, but yeah. So you look ready for my last, last recommendation of the evening. My butthole is ready. Yeah, you gotta go poop. I, I've been there. No, nah, I don't have to poop. Okay, well, fucking la-di-da. So my last one is Schoolboy Q, Blank Face LP, 
And I didn't hear this the year it came out either. This came out, or this, I first heard it in 2017, back when I got under that huge rap kick I talked about last time when I was first dating Alexa and I was hanging out with Luke all the time. And I was really, I really enjoyed Oxymoron, which I had heard, I guess when it first came out, because I, I had heard some of the stuff from the sort of mixtape album before that. But anyways, I've always liked Schoolboy Q, but I have, I don't really follow most rap very closely because like whatever, you know, I just mostly listen to the first three, three, six mafia albums and call it good. But this album is so much better than I would have expected kind of from like most modern rappers. And we talked very briefly about Kendrick Lamar's good kid, mad city, which is, you know, one of those like albums by an artist and, you know, socially conscious and all that. Like, you know, it's, it's like art music as much as it is rap music. And I was very surprised to find that Schoolboy Q released an album that at least in terms of texture production and everything else, like it's still mostly about selling drugs and gang banging and banging bitches. But the, the beats behind it, make it feel like more of a conscious rap album, which is like, what? Like from Schoolboy, but also his ability to be so many different characters and the way he changes his voice. Like, oh man, really? This album has put him at top tier for me. And like, I really can appreciate a lot of Kendrick Lamar stuff, but he's way too, I don't need to think that much when I listen to rap. And I really like Vince Staples, but also sometimes he he's either too depressing or too conscious. And when I listen to this, I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm slightly enlightened, but mostly I still want to do drugs and gangbang. <laughs> and that's how I want to feel when I listen to rap music. It's either this or I want to get dumber and I want to be listening to Mr. Thug Isolation. So, you know. And this album is just, there's a couple missteps and any album that has 17 songs that's not grindcore is going to probably have some songs that could have been cut off. But I will say that either the production saves them or they're just like happy flow or the just like straight fucking charisma of Schoolboy Q makes those songs acceptable. And they're mostly sort of a little bit in the back part and a little bit in the middle and I look at Big Body featuring the Dog Pound, Never Change featuring SZA and uh, Overtime, which is just like a stupid sex song, but also is like so fun that I don't even care. And that's kind of what makes it good. Like it's it's one of those rap albums that can like manage to still be bloated and still be like really, really exceptional. But if you listen to the first 10 songs and don't even listen to the rest, you'd be in good shape. Although the last song is a fucking killer. And now what's, oh, Never Changes, all right. It's Whatever You Want by, with some South African chick who's a cutie pie, but like just shows up in song seven right after like the most brutal song with Vince Staples. And you're like, what, what the fuck is this? It's like some party shit. Uh, I'm at a loss for what to show because a lot of these songs have features and Schoolboys always shows up and is killing it, but he he pulls like the fucking bit he gets out of Jada Kiss and Groovy Tony slash Eddie Kane is insane. And also 
the track which features Vince Staples called Right Out is also insane. So I'm really kind of uh, torn as to what to show. But, you know, for normal people, they probably already heard this album, so it's not new to them. I guess I will... Um, I'm going to play some of Groovy Tony slash Eddie Kane. Yeah, blank face, clear everything out the safe, crack the big bank. Robbing your kids too, my heart of ink blue. The devil in all blue, huh? Die now, go to heaven and bring them through. Lot of brown round here, got that white girl for you. Uh, and she's swimming in fire water, clippy double digits. Piercing through your civic most, die before they hear it. Turn a nigga to a spirit, dry slow. Oh, hey, hit the curb with shattered mirrors. Look around, now you're hellbound, boogie down, bullshit, I won't allow, slang a burn every hour, smack a nigga with the heat, contradicting that peace, leave him triple six lying under feet, can you dig it, strip a master, won't finish, drop a nigga off, get a nigga whip, squeeze a fingertips, Hey, blank face, Trey A, kill everybody, fuck a AK, sell narcotics, and step my dollars up to Bill Gates, push all limits, you look timid, need to back Punk ass cops, some crackers, one us with our black off. Thug like niggas is 96, I want the gang bang. Few years later, I'm really from it. We were still kids. Crack off, nigga, I'm squeezing empty till the shell break. Fuck my image, I need to drop, I need the Exactly what I'ma have when the cops come. Body language the same as when the shots rung. Yeah. Hole in the 38 and the shotgun. Real nigga, we all know you are not one. Nah. Running with the rebels. I'm three man weave. With the Lord and the devil, really all I need to pitchfork in the shovel. If I can't proceed, then I resort to the metal. metal. Getting high, watching NBA league pass. With your family at the repass. My condolences. My heart's getting colder when I hug your mom and look over her shoulder. You notice I got the. I ain't heard nothing, I ain't seen nothing. I ain't in the middle with nothing, no in between nothing. Y'all forever hate me as I sit there while they interrogate me. I'm staring at them with the oh. oh my god. So good. So good. Nights like this, I just I just wish cocaine would fall. Well, like, yeah, every day of my life, partner. I can just see you screaming that. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, part of what I think is so cool about it is that, I mean, Schoolboy Q is not the only person to do rap songs that just get out of the sort of standard, like, bar after bar. Like, but the, this, a lot of the songs on this album evolve and switch up it has in my opinion some of the best aspects of what you find in really good um fucking tyler the creator or even more so like earl sweatshirt songs where they just morph because it's not about making a radio rap song and it's more about like kind of creating sort of partial narratives like these pseudo narratives where it's as much vibe as it is whatever other stuff and like that shit is sick. That's, that's like, that's, I don't know. It's what elevates it to me. And again, I love old three, six mafia. I love little ugly man. I like songs that are like brutally repetitive, but so I, and I will listen to those cause it's like pop music for me much more often than I might this album. But this is an album that I can put it on from song one and just like play it through and not even bat an eye, you know? 
bat an eyelash. Not the whole eye. I mean, you know. But. I just. Uh, I love it when you get in rap mode. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, it doesn't happen too much anymore. No, 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 it doesn't. But this is one of the few hip-hop albums that I have on vinyl because I've got some 3-6, I've got Wu-Tang's first album, I've got this, Little Ugly Man, I got a Mystical 12-inch, uh, Purple Ribbon All-Stars. <laughs> and, um, there's another one, there's another really silly one up there. I got a couple 12-inches of, like, some singles I loved growing up, and then I bought them and I thought, hmm, I don't know what's wrong with me, but... I don't know that. Here I come, though, or here I go, or whatever. Here I go. I think it is by Mystical. So that's pretty solid. That's pretty good. Twelve inch. <laughs> but yeah. So if I had to pull, I don't know. These there's really disparate genres here. So I don't know that I could pull any one of these albums and say that that was the best of 2016. But I do I, it. Don't be a fucking coward. Well, then, if I had to choose, I'd probably say Blank Face. I'd probably say, on the whole, that's the best album, looking at all criteria. But, I don't, I, you know, I didn't do that. That's why I picked uh, seven albums tonight instead of just one. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, as I mentioned it, Earl Sweatshirt isn't, I don't think, anywhere on this decade list, which is probably a real travesty as far as hip-hop fans go, although I don't know that we're really attracting that crowd. And I don't think anybody who listens to hip-hop doesn't know that Earl Sweatshirt rules. But I also just have less of a connection with him because I have listened and enjoyed some of his music a lot. But it came out and became known to me in 2017 and later... And I just was at a time in my life where that level of, like, fucked up, ultra-depressive shit, especially his third album or, like, second proper album, it really hits when it hits. But, like, I don't need to feel or think about, like, that kind of stuff. Like, his shit is, like, fucked up and dark, which, I mean, is what makes it rule. But that I don't do shit and, like, I don't go outside and I don't do shit album is... is like grimmer than Nicole 12 at times it feels like at least emotionally so yeah but i feel like you as a person you don't come to rap to listen to the depressing stuff you want that crunk yeah mostly yeah i really do i love <laughs> crunk like early crunk is real is really what i'm about and it's partially cuz like that that when the smoke clears by 36 mafia saw me through more near overdoses and drunken driving lunacy than almost any other album which is why it's been in my car for what year was that 2009 11 years so you know without stop and i still think that if i was to crush up the jewel case like cover and smoke or snort it i would definitely probably die so, well, not just because it's plastic, and I shouldn't snort plastic, but because of the amount of drugs that touched it. Mm. Idiots. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, so next next week is, is going to be a lot of bass-oriented music, and I'm excited about that. And then I'm going to talk about some records that I've already gotten to... I've already had the ability to talk about on this show because... When we get into that 17 territory, we're talking about, you know, after we had started the podcast. So, you yeah, know, we mentioned it in the last episode, but it's now been 
almost three years we've been doing this. We just hit episode 50 for the main podcast a couple weeks ago, and we hit episode 25 of BDMFT. So we hope you guys are continuing to get some enjoyment out of this. And if you do like it and think your friends might like it, you know, let them know. Send, send them a link. Yeah, and, you know, as always, you guys can contact us. We will uh, write back if you email us or you message us on Facebook or Instagram. It's Motel Help Podcast at all the social medias and Motel Help Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you guys have any questions, concerns, want to show us pictures of your nude bodies, get at us. Yeah, and if you want to see our nude bodies, check out our OnlyFans, which should be up any day now. Yeah, yeah, so excited. So, thanks for listening, Ben. Thanks for listening, listeners. And <laughs> I will, I'll be back. We'll be back soon with more of that, of the, of, of this. <laughs> <laughs> Later, nerds. Later.